Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, it's our week in review, and we have a lot of news to talk about today with Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, October 8th, 2021. The show is super long today, so I want to get straight into those crypto prices so you can listen to the whole episode on your way to work, or probably today, on your way to work and back. Let's get into it. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 1040 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is in at $54,600, up 1.7% in 24 Ethereum, $3,640, up 2.6%. Cardano, $2.27, pretty much even from yesterday. Binance Coin, $425, down 2.5%. And Teller's in the number 5 spot. Running off the top 10, we have Solana, XRP, Polkadot, USDC, and Dogecoin. Total market cap, we're at $2.31 trillion, a BTC dominance of 44.4%, and an F dominance of... 18.5 and we have our coin of the day so our coin of the day today is numerare it is number 140 on coin market cap its ticker is nmr its price is 44 dollars and 31 cents down 1.6 percent in 24 its market cap is 451 million dollars fully diluted market cap is 487 million dollars which means 93 percent of the coins are in circulation its all-time high was $99.80, set back in 2017 in June, and its all-time low was November of 2018 at $1.93. So where can you buy this token? You can buy it on Coinbase, Binance, Bitthumb, Bittrex, KuCoin, of course, Shitcoin Mecca, Gate.io, Bittrex, Poloniex, OKX, basically, you can buy it anywhere. There's plenty of liquidity, plenty of volume. And, well, it's pretty safe if you wanted to off it and buy it and swap it and sell it. It is pretty accessible. So, what does Numerare do? Well, according to CoinMarketCap, it is a Ethereum-based platform allowing developers and data scientists to experiment and allow developers to compete in creating effective machine learning prediction models. So, that is Numerare. It's been around since 2015. And that is our coin of the day. And without a musical break in between, let's go straight into our week in review with editor-in-chief dan roberts we're going to cover a couple different topics today the topics we're going to cover are btc etf rumors andrew yang's forward party talking about crypto and being the party for sensible regulation uh ship token froki frunk puppy the chatter around stablecoin regulation and public adding crypto good morning matthew Good morning. Good morning. Look, we have a big week in news. There's a lot of things going on. And so I'm just going to get straight into it. Dan, ETF rumors, Bitcoin ETF rumors. This is huge. I mean, Bitcoin's price is soaring. Is this real? Well, this would be huge if one gets approved. And it's funny, there's a number of contradictions here, right? First of all, when Gary Gensler was first named the next SEC chief, a lot of people got very excited in crypto because he taught a course on blockchain at MIT and they thought, okay, we're off to the races. This guy's going to be very good for crypto and pro crypto. 
And so far, that hasn't been the case at all. He hasn't approved a Bitcoin ETF. And most of what he has said has been pretty bearish. And it's been, I want to regulate the space. Most of the tokens look to me like unregistered securities. Uh-oh. And yet, now there's optimism that coming in just two weeks, uh, October 18, we're going to see the first Bitcoin ETF approved. But there's an asterisk. And the asterisk is the ETF that people are expecting to be approved would be a futures ETF, which you know, small distinction, but it actually matters to investors. This would not still be the pure ETF play that everyone hopes for that is, you know, pegged to simply the price of Bitcoin and would allow regular investors and institutions and retail investors to buy something that is publicly traded without having to worry about buying Bitcoin that would behave like Bitcoin. Instead, it's sort of a workaround. It would be pegged to the Bitcoin futures market. And that's a little bit different. And Gensler has explained that he feels better and safer about the current regulatory structure around the futures market than he does around uh, pure crypto trading. So even if it is a futures one, I do think that'll still be big and I imagine that'll help the price, but it still wouldn't be the classic BTC ETF that everyone wants. One thing that you said there was pretty interesting. You said um, Gary Gensler is looking at most of the crypto currencies that are out there as unregulated securities. However, I'm pretty sure that Gary Gensler already acknowledged that Bitcoin is not a security because of it's being decentralized. There's no uh, you know, head of Bitcoin or CEO of Bitcoin. And so would a Bitcoin ETF actually fall into his still you know, being consistent with what he's saying? Right. So it's true that the SEC in the past has come out and made that uh, label has said, you know, Bitcoin is not a security. And in fact, another official three years ago also said, we don't view Ether as a security. And people got very excited. And the argument was, you know, full decentralization. I haven't heard Gensler himself say that, but mostly he has said that other tokens all look like securities. You know, we're talking about the entire altcoin market here. Mm. And we're talking about companies that have launched new tokens. And uh, I think this has been a, a really interesting, almost undercovered thing. The idea that we all remember the ICO boom in 2017. Well, ICOs didn't go away. I mean, they're not called that anymore, but lots of companies are still doing token sales. They launch new tokens. A lot of DEXs and DeFi protocols have tokens. And I think Gensler looks at those as securities. If it looks like a security and smells like a security and you know walks like a security, it's a security. Now that doesn't mean that he wants to shut it all down. That's the mistake I think too many people are making. It just means that he thinks they need to be regulated. They need to be registered and regulated as such. And you know, as for the ETF, I think he just looks at the existing futures trading market for certain commodities, and he thinks that that looks above board. That has been established and has nice uh, safeguards in place. You know, it's all about protecting investors. And with Bitcoin, I don't think the issue is whether he views Bitcoin as a security. It, it's simply that. You know, the thing they've been saying for years, which a lot of crypto people think is stupid, which is the crypto market, because it never sleeps, because it's so fast and frenzied, because it can be controlled by a small number of whales, because it's so volatile, just looks to them, looks to regulators like it's something unsafe and crazy and, and risky, high risk. And so I think he wants to start with a futures ETF because that allows them to sort of ease in. Then we can see later on about a pure Bitcoin ETF. Last question I want to have about this ETF is, could it have been a case of the telephone game where information was passed down so many times that like the whole conversation got jumbled because the SEC just approved an ETF for Bitcoin revolution, which seems to be a portfolio of all kinds of different companies that hold Bitcoin in their, on their balance sheets. It, could that have been the case? Absolutely. I mean, I think all these regulators and all the guys at these agencies, when they come into office, you know, they're, they're immediately briefed and they're basically told, 
here's our view on X and on Y and on Z. And they say, oh, okay, so that's what we think. Now they might think something different, but you know, he's grappling with the existing knowledge base and the existing already mentioned public opinions of the agency that he has taken over. So I mentioned earlier, this guy, Bill Hinman, who used to be you know, finance chair at the SEC, he was the one who said, hey, don't worry, we don't view Ether as a security. And all the ETH people got excited, but then certain things have come out since, like, wait a minute, they don't view ETH as a security, but they do think that tokens launched on Ethereum are securities. Is there a contradiction there? And then he went and consulted for Ripple. And people said, wait a minute, because the SEC is suing Ripple over XRP. So there are some contradictions there. And all that happened before Gensler took over the SEC. So you're right that there are some games of telephone. Does he want to change uh, what his agency has said in the past and, and look like he's contradicting it? You know, maybe, maybe not. And, you know, as, as far as all these uh, other tokens are concerned, and, you know, as far as the ETF is concerned, I mean, I always say people want exposure, you know, regular Wall Street mainstream investor types who are traditionally cautious, who are now ready to dip a toe into crypto. They all talk about how the ETF would be great because you could get exposure to Bitcoin without having to buy it. And the ETF you mentioned is not a Bitcoin ETF. It, it's publicly traded tech companies that have embrace Bitcoin. That's still a workaround. That's a way to get exposure to Bitcoin. And the funny thing to me is, why not just buy Bitcoin? You know, you're looking for all these different workarounds to get True. exposure to Bitcoin. The best way would be buy Bitcoin and hold on to it. I mean, come on. Absolutely. Let's stick it on Bitcoin in the crypto space and Bitcoin in general, because uh, I, I want to focus on Andrew Yang right now and just kind of transition to how, what Andrew Yang is doing and looking at how, how he's looking at Bitcoin. Because as we all know, this week, Andrew Yang, the former um, candidate for president of the United States and the former candidate for mayor of New York, decided to leave the Democratic Party and start the Forward Party. And he tweeted that he met with somebody and suggested that the Ford Party become a party that stands for reasonable and rational regulation of cryptocurrencies as a huge source of value and innovation. And he also said that his UBI could also be paid out or Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies can be a big part of his UBI, uh, UBI initiative. Um, can, can you comment on that? Because what do you think that a party that is running on regulating and being um, promoting cryptocurrencies as a value of innovation could do for the space? Well, I think it potentially could be huge if he can be taken seriously. And, you know, look, Yang has been kind of... <laughs> he defined, defined that really quick. Well, I mean, Yang has been pushing Bitcoin since he was a presidential candidate. And I think, unfortunately, people in our industry, people in crypto may not want to hear it. But at the time, that was painted a certain way by the mainstream political establishment. You know, I mean, we all see it. He was sort of seen as, I don't want to say fringe, but he was seen as like, okay, come on, techie for president. You know, and techie likes crypto. Uh-huh. And the the people in power in the Democratic Party just did not give him the support and did not want to take him seriously, which is a shame because he's clearly extremely smart, extremely capable. Um, you know, I, I liked a lot of his ideas. And then you add to, you know, his crypto fandom, the UBI stuff, the universal basic income, which a lot of people see as kind of a new form of socialism. And that's another um, stumping ground and campaign issue that is very easy for more traditional people in power in the, in the political establishment to dismiss with a wave of their hand and look down on and say, this is silly, this is fringe. I mean, I'll tell you something. I thought the announcement of the forward party was very interesting, but I saw that he did an event in DC. This was just yesterday, Matthew, mm -hmm. with um, Marianne Williamson, 
And, you know, she had run for president as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a quote, Williamson on stage next to Yang said, we don't want to be Jill Steins. But in any other country, in any other advanced democracy, they do have multiple political parties. And that's pretty fair. I mean, that's a fair statement. Are we just going to have only Democrat or Republican for, you know, another 50 years? Or could we actually open things up and allow there to be multiple parties? Of course, there's, you know, the Libertarian Party, but come on. You know, I mean, when it comes down to it, there's, it's a two-party system in the U.S., And I don't see why people are so knee-jerk opposed to things like creating multiple new parties, uh, listening to radical ideas like the universal basic income, or considering the ways in which cryptocurrency might actually help a lot of people in the country. But I just think that a lot of what Yang is pushing and talking about and what he stands for, certain people that are still in power just don't want to give the time of day. They don't want to take it seriously. Maybe that'll change. Maybe not. And of course, right now, he's not running for anything. He lost when he ran for president and then he ran for mayor and lost. So that's another thing that it's tough right now for him to be the one announcing a, a brand new political venture. That, that, that is a very good point that if you lose two times and then you say, well, now I'm leaving the party, right. it almost sounds like you're a poor <laughs> loser, not a somebody who's a, re- a revolutionary visionary. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying there. And um, uh, that's not my opinion of, of I think that Andrew Yang making a new party, I think is a great thing, but it does look have that optics. And I, I agree with you there. Uh, this was a big week for regulation in general. And, um, you know, it just says not regulation. I, I, let me take that back. This has been a big week in the conversation about regulation, as we just said about Andrew Yang, and we talked about the ETFs and the reasons for that. Uh, we also had a lot of chatter about stable coins. Uh, we have Circle, as you know, that they have, you know, the USDC. Um, then we have a lot of chatter about Tether, USDT. And, and if they're actually properly backed by the US dollars or an equivalent amount of US dollars or some sort of securities that are backing the Tether. Um, can you just walk us through what that chatter has been when it comes to stable coins, please? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, there's a little bit of a, a learning curve with people even understanding why these things exist. You know, okay, they're cryptocurrencies, but they're pegged to the value of fiat currencies or commodities like gold. Most of them are pegged to the US dollar. And, you know, the top dogs have become Tether, which there are a lot of questions around, USDC, which was a joint venture of Circle and Coinbase, which people often forget. Most people just say it's a Circle thing, but it was created by a joint consortium called Center. And then there's Paxos dollar, Pax dollar, which is tied to the US dollar and a few others. People, I think when they just see, oh, it's, it's pegged to fiat currency, they go, oh, I see. So it's safer. Well, maybe, maybe not. The idea is that it shouldn't be nearly as volatile as Bitcoin. And for now, the way, as far as I can tell it, that crypto people use stable coins is twofold. One, you can slide into stable coins as a way to kind of plot your next trade, hit pause and avoid the market volatility. If you think Bitcoin's about to go down big and you've got big holdings, but you don't want to, you know, convert it to US dollars and withdraw it because that can come with high fees. Instead, switch it into Tether or USDC, hold on, and then you know get liquid and put it back into other cryptocurrencies, or maybe you're trying to do it on a, a DEX or a different exchange, fine. Another aspect to stable coins I'm seeing is there's a sort of um, general sense that they're like uh, buttoned up, safer, more corporate. I'm seeing a lot of companies do partnerships with stable coins. You know, Facebook had all these grand plans for Libra. It was going to be a new global currency. Uh, now it turns out due to regulatory pressure, it looks like it's just going to be a dollar peg stable coin. You know, not that interesting. And then PayPal uses Paxos on its back end to uh, offer its crypto buying features and settles things with, you know, Paxos as stable coin. Fine. So all that said, Gensler comes out and surprise, in addition to having certain views about regulating the rest of the crypto market, 
He wants to regulate stablecoins. And this is sort of the least surprising part of all the regulation talk to me. What he has said is, if these things are pegged to traditional currencies, well, then those things should have to follow the same rules and regulations that the currencies do. And that makes some sense to me. That doesn't sound unreasonable. That, do that I mean, doesn't actually uh, sound unreasonable. <laughs> right. And, and so that's all he has said. And so now they're going after stable coins. And of course, the SEC has investigated or subpoenaed and Circle came out and confirmed Circle, which is, you know, behind the, the number two stable coin, USDC. And Circle is cooperating with the investigation. People freaked out. I mean, none of that means, oh, Circle is going to be shut down. They're going to shut down USDC, but they probably wanted information on the traders who trade it, Circle's customers, KYC, know your customer. Are they doing AML, you know, guardrails, anti-money laundering? And these are the acronyms that crypto people hear and hate, and they don't want any of that. Well, it's getting regulated. So you can either kind of ride with the regulation and, and take the view that this will actually help the space and it'll help it mature and grow up. Or you can say, this is terrible. They're being draconian and I just want to move my operations outside the US. But stablecoin seems to me an easy area where Gensler could uh, plant a flag first before he does things like trying to go after DEXs, which, you know, how do you regulate a DEX? And I, I do agree with, you know, um, looking at stable coins and Tether has a lot of questions. Are they actually backed? Is it one to one? Is uh, USDC, uh, is BUSD backed one to one? And if we are having the confidence as, you know, either traders or investors or hodlers or some kind of, you know, um, like you said, you know, PayPal is using Paxos in the back end as, as, you know, to transact. I mean, we have to have the confidence that they are operating in good faith to make sure that those are backed one to one. And I, I don't think that's unreasonable. And, and to say no, that. And, and by the way, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I should have mentioned that. That's the biggest question. And that's another thing people may not understand is that all these stable coins, each one has a company behind it. So if you are trading USDC and you believe in that as a store of value and as a trading tool and a utility, well, then you're entrusting Circle, the company behind it. Same with Tether. And boy, when it comes to Tether, there are a lot of questions about the company behind it. So the idea is hypothetically, it should be that the company that is behind each stablecoin has the full amount of the value of the stablecoins in circulation in reserve somewhere. And initially Tether for years said, yep, we have it all, we have it all, we have all the cash, it's in a bank account. Well, most recently, you know, as Bloomberg uh, just put out in a big feature that was pretty good, uh, Tether kind of tweaked the language on its website and said that, yes, all Tethers are backed by our reserves, which contain cash and also investments. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. So now it's that, you know, you don't actually have 16 trillion or whatever the total market cap of Tether is, something enormous. You don't have it all sitting in a bank account in cash. You've actually taken some of that money and invested it. Well, and some of the investments might have been pretty risky. So, you know, when, you, when you're getting into, when you're aping into a stable coin, you need to trust the company behind it too. Just so we don't get called out on anything, I just want to say that the market cap of Tether is 69 billion, uh, not, not trillion. Okay. Um, but uh, I also want to. I think that's a that's a good point, and I want to also want to bring out to everybody and uh, about this conversation is that let's just think about 2008 when we had a bunch of you know mortgages backed by you know basically what they said in the big short is a bunch of shit, and they packaged them together and then they put them out there to prop up the the you know the housing market. And what if? And this is I think a really good question. I think the SEC should be looking. What if they're saying it's backed one to one with these you know whatever that's backing the the these USDT or USDC, and it's just a bunch of shit that is packaged by, you know, basically 
junk bonds or junk stocks or whatever. And they're saying that this is worth a dollar <laughs> and it really isn't. And if that collapses, well, we have a whole, and like I just said, the market cap of Tether, $69 billion of value wiped out of the crypto space and out of people's pockets. Right. I mean, that's the fear. And I still think that unfortunately, and it's something so hard to report on, Again, you know, kudos to this Bloomberg story that just came out this week that made an attempt. Uh, but basically, you know, you contact the company and they just say, we're not telling you anything, but we have all the funds. You know, we, we promise. So you want to take their word for it. And of course, as we know, as journalists, that's what's tough about a company that's privately held when they're not publicly traded. They don't have to share their data. They don't have to give their information. And so do you just want to trust Tether? But I don't necessarily take the view that if it turned out that someone finally proved, you know, Tether is in some way partially or wholly scammy and they don't have all the money backing the Tethers, I don't take the view that that would collapse the, the crypto market. You know, there are kind of conspiracy theorists who say, you know, every, everything we see in Bitcoin, any price hike or price surge, it's actually all because of Tether trading. And it, Tether is propping up the whole crypto market. I, I, I don't really fully buy that, but I certainly think that Tether is, you know, a, a big elephant in the room and is important and that over time traders really flocked to it but you know even if it turns out that they've put some of the backings in in investments well that's almost a little bit comforting i mean at least it, it suggests the money was there at some point you know this isn't just a shell of nothing there's not nothing there so we're slowly starting to learn more about tether there are still unanswered questions the jury's out but i do think that the longer uh, that time passes, the years go by and Bitcoin continues to uh, keep hold. What I like to say to people who point and say, oh, it's all a sham, you know, it's all, it's all a Ponzi scheme. No, it isn't. But they point and they say, it's a fraud, you know, it's a house of cards. Well, it's been trading for 11 years. People used mm -hmm. to say, well, what if it goes to zero? It could go to zero. It has mm -hmm. never gone to zero. That's not going to happen. And I just like to say at the very least, and I'm not even like some Bitcoin bull. I don't go out there and tell people to buy crypto. But I like to say at the very least, it's not going to collapse. That's what I believe. The Bitcoin market is not going to collapse. It's not going to go to zero. Bitcoin is something that exists and will continue to exist. You know, tether or no tether. Two news stories that came out uh, yesterday that I think we're just, and, and actually it's just developing over time right now, uh, that I think are very interesting. One is Public, which is a Robin Hood uh, competitor. It's basically an app that you can buy stocks and stuff like that. Uh, they're going to add cryptos. They're going to add 10 cryptocurrencies to it. Uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Dogecoin, and a couple others. I'm not going to try to do all 10 off the top of my head. Um, but they're, anyway, they're adding that. And I, I want to make a statement before we go into that, because that's basically the news. They're adding cryptos. Uh, but my, my statement is with this is, and my question to you, I see them doing two things. One is they're copying Robinhood. In, in a way that we saw in the Robinhood's Q2 report that they are getting a lot of their funds, a lot of their revenue from the crypto space now, especially okay. things like Dogecoin. So they're looking at this going, okay, this is a money grab, let's add cryptos. But two is I feel that they are not actually being proactive or forward thinking because the crypto space has notoriously and forever given Robinhood a lot of crap because they are not actually, you're not actually buying crypto on, on Robinhood, you're buying an IOU. And They've in the crypto space has always been pushing back on Robinhood, saying, "Look, let people take the, the crypto off. Let people have it in a wallet. Let people, you know, do work with crypto and Bitcoin the way that it's supposed to be worked with. Hold my own private keys." And they're actually starting to do that, but public's not doing that. And I feel that they're almost setting themselves up for crypto failure as Robinhood's trying to move forward. What do you think about that? So first of all, I mean the idea of the IOU analogy, which a lot of people in crypto have made. Robinhood hates that. Oh, they reach out. You know, we wrote that in one story. They reach out and say, don't call it that. And it's like, well, I mean, 
you know, if people aren't holding their own crypto, and of course, as the phrase goes, not your keys, not your crypto. And that's what I think finally pushed Robinhood to say, okay, we'll roll out a wallet. Now, of course, crypto purists say that it still isn't a true wallet because it's not a non-custodial wallet. But at least now you can, you know, move your coins off the platform. That's coming next mm. month. Robinhood, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing the Robinhood crypto COO on stage at an event recently. And I said, well, aren't you concerned at all that they're just going to buy crypto on Robinhood and then immediately send it off your platform? And, you know, you guys want to stay on the platform. And she said, look, you know, we're rolling out a bunch of new features. And so we think people want to keep their funds on Robinhood and do things with it, which I think was a hint that certain DeFi tools are coming, staking, et cetera. She said, you know, people want to move beyond just buying coins and holding them. They want to do things with them. Uh-huh. So we know what that means. But then she said, and if they still decide that they want to you know, send their coins somewhere else, that's okay. So they're taking a little bit of a risk there, but obviously they'll still get uh, the benefit when people buy on Robinhood. And as for public, I think you're right. I mean, suddenly, and I tweeted this out, I tweeted out the, the story about public adding crypto. And I just said, they're all doing it. I mean, suddenly all the brokerages are adding crypto support. And of course, you're right. I mean, in Q1, 30% of Robinhood's revenue came from crypto trading. And then within that, something huge was like Dogecoin, which, you know, yikes. I think it was like uh, 40% was a, of their of yeah. their revenue or something yeah. of the crypto revenue. Of their crypto revenue. Yeah, that was like a momentary bump. But Yes, I agree with you that other brokerages that are now adding crypto are being reactive. They're not being proactive. They're following. And, you know, a phrase I used to hear a lot in sports business was people say, we want to skate to where the puck is going to be, not skate to where the puck is now. Mm. You know, you're mm. trying to be ahead of the curve. And a lot of these companies and traditional brokerages or even public's not an old brokerage. I mean, it's a new, you know, hot new startup, but they're adding crypto now because they're seeing that everyone's doing it. They're skating to where the puck is. So what is the next step? You know, what's a way to be innovative? I mean, it would probably be adding true DeFi tools. And then you're courting both the mainstream folks who may just want to dip a toe into Bitcoin and they, they don't understand all the tech and they don't want to. And you're courting the crypto purists by having the features that they expect from a true, you know, like a Coinbase type place or a Uniswap. So, but it's hard, it's hard if you're, if you're a buttoned up, if you're Robinhood or a publicly traded company, you know, if you're Chuck Schwab or Fidelity or PayPal, and you decide we want to, you know, do crypto stuff, well, you don't want to mess with the full wild west, you know, it seems like they want to support crypto, but in a safe, you know, slight first step kind of way, baby steps. Last thing I want to bring up before before we go. First, I want to say thank you for the almost half hour of time. This is probably the longest podcast I've put out in in months. Uh, but there's a lot of news going on, and I think that the news are just, is just going to get more and more as we you know go through Q4. I think that we're just going to have a crazy Q4. I, I mean, I think this is going to be just. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Dan. You're gonna you're gonna be busy <laughs> this, yes. this Christmas. But two things are on my radar, and I, I really want your opinion on them because th- this is just mind blowing. SHIB token and Floki Frunk Puppy token. SHIB has just moved into the number 13 biggest market cap in the crypto space at 14. It's at 12. I apologize. Uh, Well, it's at (laughs) $14.1 billion. And there's a Floki Frunk Puppy. What's going on? Right. I know. What's going on? Well, it's Elon again. And, you know, I, I wrote a column months ago about Elon's influence on the crypto market you know, and how one one tweet can can move markets. And is that a problem? And it seems to me like it is. Now, of course, regulation-wise, legally, 
Uh, it's not the same as when he tweets material information about Tesla, you know, considering taking Tesla private at 420 a share, funding secured. Well, he got in big trouble for that because Tesla is a publicly traded company that has to follow certain guidelines. Not the same for crypto. You know, if Mark Cuban tweets out and says, um, I love XRP, XRP is going to pump. And there's no current regulation or law in place that would allow them to kind of go after that. Although there was a report, I remember eight months ago, that the SEC kind of uh, contacted, reached out to him about his tweets about Dogecoin. So I imagine that their hands are tied. They don't like it, but what can they do? And that's why Gensler wants to regulate these things. For now, I think Musk's influence on the crypto market is kind of scary. And the, the only real defense I see from fans of his is they say, well, people make their own decisions. It's not his fault if people are stupid and buy up SHIB because he tweeted a, a photo of his Shiba Inu. You know, I guess that I guess that's fair. People make their own decisions, but you can't say that for everything. I mean, that's why investor protections exist so that people don't lose their shirts. And, you know, when the SNL hosting happened, I remember Dogecoin pumped all the way to 70 cents. It was like it's all time high. And it was because people expected he would talk about Dogecoin on SNL. And then it was a classic example of buy the rumor, sell the news, because right when the show opened, before he had even come out, Dogecoin crashed. And then he did talk about Dogecoin twice on that episode of SNL, and it didn't help. And, you know, anyone who bought uh, in the 24 hours leading up to SNL lost their shirts. I hope they didn't buy too much because it was at like 69 cents and then it went to like 30 cents. And, you know, he was responsible. Now, whether you believe that he deserves some kind of blame, that's a matter of opinion, but now it's happening again. You know, he tweets out a photo of his Shiba Inu and he says, I'm naming it Floki. And not only did that pump SHIB, but then his, you know, fanboys who worship at the cult of Elon Musk created a bunch of new tokens like Floki coin, you know, Floki from puppy, puppy, Floki. I mean, multiple of these tokens, all with different names. And they all saw their price go up. So, you know, when I'm trying to explain things like Dogecoin or Shiba Inu to people, I say, you know, to people who are not in crypto, I say, well, it's a joke. And they say, but it's not a joke that the price is going up. Well, correct. But it's still a joke. It is a joke. It's just a joke that is making some people actual money if they want to buy it and watch it go up. But man, that is a high risk game if you're going to buy and trade crypto based on Elon Musk's tweets. Now, I want to just go full circle. And this goes back all the way to the beginning of this episode to Gary Gensler. Um, and his regulations and what he's looking at when it comes to, you know, how he's going to regulate the crypto space. He's looking at the coins, the companies, the, 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 the tokens, the DEXs, the miners, um, the stable coins. Should he not be looking first at the Elons? Maybe this guy should stop, you know, <laughs> pumping certain cryptos. Well, I imagine and, you know, Elon doesn't give a shit about things like fees and fines. You know, he, I mean, when I you have $200 billion, you, yeah, you, have, exactly. you have some flexibility. Exactly. There's no way to give him any amount of fine that he would actually care about. He just laughs. So the problem is rather than try to mess with him and say, you can't tweet about this stuff. He probably has good legal ground to stand on to say, well, sure I can. Those aren't, you know, publicly held uh, companies and stocks. So first you'd have to build the infrastructure, put the rules in place, new rules that, you know, certain people, I don't even know how they go about that. Certain people can't tweet. Uh, about their holdings in, in crypto. I mean, even as I talk about it, I, I just don't see how they could really put a set of rules in place that would make it so that uh, influential people can't tweet about their crypto holdings. Um, I'm sure he'd love to do that. And it's not just Musk, you know, it, it's Cuban, it's a couple others that, um, you know, when they tweet about crypto, things happen. But I, I unfortunately think that whenever that happens, when Musk does a tweet and a, and a joke coin pumps, it isn't good for the space. It isn't a good look. 
for for the industry. Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts, thanks for coming on the show and doing this Week in Review. And it's always good to talk to you. And uh, it's been fun, sir. My great pleasure. Always fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And why are you leaving a comment? Because it helps us stay visible. And it gives people the confidence, because you're going to say something good in there, I hope, that they're going to come and get a professional experience listening to Daily Crypto News. And until tomorrow in Recon Updates, happy hodling, everyone.